Hi and welcome to episode 48 of The Courageous Mama. Thank you to all of you who've been journeying with me so far. We're nearly up to a year and welcome if you've just joined us for the first time this week. I owe so much to those of you who feed in, ask questions, comment and shape this podcast. So please do continue to do so and point out those places that need to be talked about, put me in touch with people who have something to bring to our community so that we never stop learning and understanding. I'm going to ask for your grace this week. Because of these strange times that we live in, I had to record outside and it was a beautiful, warm, sunny day, but my new microphones seemed to pick up every wisp of wind. We had the birds singing, the neighbour's dog barking, children playing in the nearby gardens and what felt to us like a gentle breeze. And at some point there was even a little bit of drilling in the distance as we've just had our driveway done. However, in true keep calm and carry on style, I kept going with my chat with Emma Dyke. A few years ago, like a bolt from the blue, her son James was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. There are so many parents out there dealing with different diagnoses. For some, it could be spectrum disorders. For others, life-threatening diseases. For others, again, depression, anxiety or addiction. And every case will be different. But for each one of those parents, there will be some familiar themes. Those journeys are difficult, whether they began with a sudden surprise or a long-standing niggle that just needed more investigation and led to some difficult news. There will have been the parents' reaction, and that could be completely different for different families, and actually completely different for two parents within the same family. And then there's the child's journey, the sibling's journey, and the interactions of friends and family around the issue. And these experiences can feel overwhelming, lonely, and confusing. So it felt like a good conversation to be having on the Courageous Mama. On this occasion, we're talking about diabetes. But while every journey is unique, there's so much to be gained from understanding one person's journey, as it will have echoes of relevance for so many others. It gives us insight into the actions and reactions of parents who may sometimes feel other people's lives look, well, a little bit more straightforward. Well, nobody's life is completely straightforward, but taking a moment to hear what's involved for one unusual journey can help us to understand and empathise with so many others. Type 1 diabetes makes up around 10% of diabetics, as opposed to type 2 diabetes, which is mainly associated with lifestyle and results in the need for some dietary changes. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease. It's most commonly diagnosed in children and it's where the body attacks the pancreas, resulting in it no longer being able to produce insulin. That prevents the body from absorbing the carbohydrates it needs into the cells and instead the sugar builds up in the blood system, which is highly problematic. Emma lives in Cheltenham with her husband John and her son James 12 and Molly 16 and I began by asking her what her reaction was when James was first diagnosed. It was um, quite a, a shock and a, a massive change for us as a family. Um, Did you know much about diabetes? No, I knew so we realised that James was 
drinking more and then we're he... talking about water here aren't we yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was only 10 um, and um yeah we realized he was drinking more and then he started getting up in the night to go to the toilet and i don't know where my knowledge came from i don't remember being told about type 1 but I, uh, or diabetes but for some reason i twigged that those two things were associated with diabetes but i had i had no idea how dangerous a predicament we were in so i um it was a, a, a weekend and I thought right well I'll make an appointment on Monday morning and so I did that um, took him along and they immediately said yeah you need to take him to the hospital he's type 1 diabetes diabetic and what I didn't realize was in that that time that we hadn't taken him he could have actually got very critically and very dangerously ill and I know of lots of through what he knew and you know it was all you know chilled kid really so a very sudden start to a journey yeah and did you get the help that you needed at that point yeah very much so I mean the pediatric diabetes team are just fantastic so we had consultants we had lovely nurses we had um, dietitians you know we had all the information it was just a case of processing it all and then we had um phone calls every day when we got home we could contact them day and night it was fantastic and actually one of the my first thoughts when we were at the hospital was I am so thankful for the NHS Mm. and then when I saw the needles because you know they they checked his blood levels with um, little finger pricks 
which the first one they actually did at the the doctors James actually felt faint because it was such a you know <laughs> shot he wasn't expecting it and, and then suddenly we were at the hospital and they're having to give him insulin through needles to get his levels down to a safe place as quickly as possible and I just remember being really thankful that the needles were so small oh, yes. and just the all thing. the way along and uh, you know it just kept coming up you know that he was he was okay you know he seemed okay he was in the right place we caught it and you know we were dealing with it and so that played a big part in how I was able to, to cope with it. And John at home? I think he found it quite hard initially he couldn't quite take it from the same gratitude place that I was in um, but we, he just, we just got on with it mm. and actually I think Molly who was um, 12 at the time you know we we had to ring school to say not to get the bus home because we'd pick her up and it you know she ended up finding it really really tough and um, yeah those early days when John and I had to share between us who was at hospital and who was at home yeah, Molly Molly was reacting you know acting out because mm. she she was frightened she didn't understand um, she felt sort of sidelined and the, the siblings in it is a big part of living with a, a lifelong condition and, and sort of working out that whole family dynamic and as you move forward is, is quite an interesting one. It's perhaps something we don't really think about when you think of a, a child that has a, a difficulty or disability or whatever, the impact on the siblings. Did you communicate with her a lot? I mean, you're so brilliant at that. Yeah, we did talk a lot and I think it would have been very easy for us to get very annoyed with the way she was um, reacting to the whole situation and I think I was able to actually just sit down with her and talk it through and actually help her process what it was she was feeling and we could talk through things properly and understand each other and that really really helped you know just making that time but it wasn't a case of you come home and then you you know you're all set up and off you go it's every every meal time takes so much longer because you have to work out from what they're eating what the carbohydrates are and then you have to look them up and um, calculate them and then work out what the insulin is for them and so it becomes very intrusive it, it's intrusive in so many different places if you're going out to the park if you're doing exercise you always have to think about how it will affect the blood levels and so there's constantly things to think about and in the early days it's a massive learning curve and so it takes quite a long time to do it so it's, it's constantly coming in and I think everybody starts to really resent it mm. because it's just there and so I think the biggest thing we have done is get to the point where days I remember thinking I need to understand of, as much of this as I can because I know there'll come a point where I just don't want you know I just want to leave it behind I'm not going to want to look at things and understand them properly so I put a lot of time in in the early days to understand it 
read the books, ask the questions. I didn't join the national Facebook groups initially because there were things I knew I wouldn't want to see. So it, it, we very much consciously made an effort to put it in the background of our lives rather than feel it is in our, our identity. And did it feel like that at first though, with all the newness and the calculations? Oh, massively. I mean, it, what, I, I actually felt like I'd done a, a degree course on a subject I'd never, <laughs> never wanted to even know yeah. anything about. Um, you know, I thought it was just a case of, oh right, so they need insulin, you just give them insulin, but it, it, there's so much more to it than that. You know, what they eat affects how quickly they absorb carbohydrates so how you give the insulin varies depending on the food and if they're doing exercise and you know there's a thousand things that can affect their my their dad sugar had diabetes and he always used to say it's an art not a science oh a black art a black <laughs> art. <laughs> definitely a black art it's not even an art it's not you know it's just a and what you do one day can work great and you do it another day and you get a completely different result so it's not even like you know on the whole you can follow patterns but it's a human body sometimes it just does its own thing and that's quite a big layer to have when you consider that actually you've got a 10 year old and a 12 year old there so you've got a lot of sort of new hormones coming in and changes happening in just their emotional position as well haven't you mm -hmm. did you find that every time you looked around there was something to deal with um Yes, and I think when you've got that extra layer, you've got that ex those extra pressures, and so when those other challenges come through, it can be harder to find that patience and that time and deal with them as effectively as you might do if you were in a calmer, more comfortable place. But you live and you learn, you know, that's why to us it's so important it stays in the background so we can find that normality of just everyday life you know James moved on to an insulin pump three years ago which again gives you an extra level of normality that takes a lot of the injections out of the equation and so <laughs> <laughs> we're having our driveway done and <laughs> the machines just started up but hopefully uh, the microphone will pick us up over mm. the machines so you had your new normal to adjust to and actually there's a lot in the mix that you don't really consider so our children are friends um, just for, for those who are listening and of course all of a sudden coming over for a pizza going out for the day having a sleepover that that all changed immediately didn't it yeah so well certainly know, initially well it, it still plays a part because I mean, pizza, pizza, you, you mentioned that word to any parents with type 1 children and they'll just go, not pizza, not because it's, it's one of those scary foods that does scary things to my children. That's not great for us with a pizza oven, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and that is where, um, so rather than going, oh gosh, we will avoid these scary things, we have actually made a point of going, okay, we know this is one of the challenging things, we're going to do it we're going to see what happens we're going to learn from it we're going to try something different next time based on what we saw and so you come out the other side going okay well we now know how to manage that that thing and I think that's it's, it's very easy to avoid things when you know they could really impact on the situation make things worse 
and and I think embracing those things allows you to you get that information you're much more comfortable about those things and so you can just when when unexpected things like I remember you ringing up one day and just go does James want to stay for tea we're having pizza <laughs> and, <laughs> and because we understood the situation this is before COVID people. it is broken 
what can you do? And they said, oh, well, we'll have one with you by Tuesday. This was a Saturday night. And I went, no, I don't think that'll do. I think we need one much sooner. And they actually couriered one out to us and we had one in like six hours. And at times like that, you realize how much you depend on the equipment, but you also realize how amazing this equipment is. And what I hope my son saw through that was that actually something really major happened but we just kept it really light we got it sorted there were no big dramas we did exactly what we'd intended to do and that when something similar happens you know when he's managing all of this he can go oh well I don't really need to turn it into a drama and even if the first thing he does is ring me which hopefully he won't because he'll be he'll be on it himself but he knows he'll he'll get a calm response and I'll go, okay, well, what are you doing? How do you want to deal with that? What do you want me to do? So yeah, there's a lot of conscious thought around how we choose to manage this condition. And just leaning into that, you've just made a point there about you've asked him, how do you want to deal mm. with it? What do you want to do? And you and I have great parenting conversations on many occasions, don't we? And choices is something that feels really important to you, doesn't it? Is that something you've really had to sort of invoke over this extra layer, as you put it, in your life? Yeah, and I think it's actually taken a lot of the potential friction areas out of it as well. So we have to change various bits of equipment every few days. And rather than me saying, right, we need to do this, I'll say, do you want to do it now or do you want to do it in a couple of hours? And then we'll set a time to do it. And I'll go, do you want to do this one or shall I? So that's him slowly taking ownership of knowing how to do the, the different processes. And sometimes we need to do things fairly urgently because something's failed. And I'll even if I just go, do you want to do it now or do you want to do it in 10 minutes? Just that passing mm. that choice across Brilliant. makes a massive difference. And when you forget to do that, you really see the difference. You know, you really see the hackles come up and they're, oh, just leave me alone. And so, it, it, yeah, you just realise such a simple but such a powerful mm. tool to use. That's like you've really hardwired that in. Oh, I know when I, <laughs> when I haven't. I know when it doesn't <laughs> quite go. I go, oh, yes, missed it that, that opportunity. And have you found that living with this condition has given you or James a different perspective on life? I mean, it's certainly given me a different perspective. It's certainly helped me appreciate there's so many different conditions and most families are living with something that isn't what would be considered the norm. Yeah, I think it's made me a lot more sensitive to people's conditions, a lot more um, aware of them. And it, it's also, you know, taught me a huge amount. I never wanted to know about what was in food. <laughs> but it's been incredibly beneficial, you know. You're I can virtually a dietitian now, Emma. <laughs> I can, um, you know, I can look at a whole um, row of cakes, and I can see the ones that I really like. And I know that if I choose that one over there, it will have half the calories in, but I'll get as much enjoyment out of it. And you know, it's it's actually a very helpful. <laughs> very niche. <laughs> it is a niche, but it's a very helpful way of understanding diet and you know what you're eating and incredible to see the impact of exercise and different activities and like even when it gets cold our bodies have to work that much harder and 
such small margins. My mum always says that. The body temperature, it, it's within a variance of about five, isn't it? That you're well. Yeah, I, I always find that really Very bizarre. small margin. Yeah. Yeah, and thus it is with all of these mm. things that you don't have to manage because, as you say, you know, if you want to call that normal, you know, we live in a range of normal and then you have to deal with abnormal. And um, it, yeah. it's not much. It has to go off the scale, is it, before you're dealing with difficulties? No. And, you know, we said before, it's a 24-7, 365 thing. You know, we... Um, we have sensors that monitor James day and night and you know, the alarms go off if he goes too high. If he goes too high, he can get very ill if he goes too low. I mean, it is, it's, it's a bit like being on a, I, I mm. always think of it as, as a tightrope, you know, you just go very slightly, you know, you go slightly too high or slightly too low, you're actually in quite dangerous territory. And so we have alarms that go off if he's too high so we can give him more insulin. We have alarms that go off if he's too low and we have to give him juice to bring him back up. And that's where sort of things like sleepovers and things, it is, you know, that at the moment is a scary place for me to think about. I, it will happen and I will happily let him go, but at the moment he is used to us managing his night times, which we're comfortable with. That's a step he needs to then take. And also the sleepovers then throw in the treats and the pizzas and the, and so yeah. you're not just doing the sleepover you're doing all the other things that are already a challenge and you're stacking them and so you're like yes. oh my goodness this <sighs> could get really interesting <laughs> um, and has that impacted you and John I mean presumably it means you can't just nip off for the weekend the way that you might have done before yeah initially I did suddenly feel very trapped I felt we could have gone backwards and we'd actually only just really found that freedom that mm. we could leave the kids with um, grandparents and we could go off and you know we'd managed to have the occasional weekend for a couple of years and suddenly I knew that was that was gone because there wasn't anybody who was really in a position to pick up the level of knowledge they needed to be able to support James at that stage but I can actually really start to see that opening up again those possibilities you know John and I both love walking and cycling and so we you know we can go off for two or three hours at the weekend now for a bike ride or a, a walk which a year ago I really wouldn't have been comfortable with but I you know James is stepping up more he's listening to his alarms he's going and getting hypo treatment when he needs it and so I can really see that opening up and, and I know for a lot of conditions that isn't a window that mm. does open up and I, you know, I'm very aware of, of that um, and I'm very thankful that is something that we will be able to, to see more of over time. Has that made you more compassionate for people struggling with children that have extra needs? Oh, definitely, you know, and I know families where they do have children or they themselves have conditions which make life very challenging and I do feel I can relate and I in a couple of situations I have actually said I am here you know I am available I want to understand your situation I want to support you and one family has very much taken that on and another family didn't but I know how much it meant for knowing that I meant it and mm. that they could if, if they wanted to. 
Mm. Um, and I'd love to be able to, to um, support others and recognising the s- extra s- stresses that can come. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's the extra pressure, do you that worry that you carry? What do you think causes the extra I don't know. Um, and, uh, in our situation, I think there's definitely been extra pressure, that worry that you certain things that have crept into our relationship and we've had you know and the answer is to actually sit down and talk you know recognize them and talk them through because I think they can just build up and manifest and And you're so busy just dealing with it exactly exactly so what would you say to someone who might be listening and certainly to me if we've got friends who are dealing with extra conditions we can't necessarily be an expert on diabetes or any of those conditions out there but what can we do um, in normal times <laughs> I think what you've done in the past has just been um, brilliant I mean you've just treated James as James you've not seen you've been fully aware that there are extra things that come with James but you've you've not let those stop him coming and visiting and having staying for meals and you were open to taking him to gym sessions so I could have a break. And I think I think just putting the condition to one side and just continuing to do what you would have always done. Certainly in the type one community, we see those invitations to parties disappearing and we see the sleepover invites going and the after school play dates you know oh I gosh, see that, that so I see that theme over and Do, over yeah. and it's it's so upsetting for parents and awful for the children so just just yeah I think you can take that child as that child and be open to that that family being there to support whatever needs to be done around around the condition um, do you think people are afraid to ask? Because of course you can say, look, I want to send your son um, an invitation. You know, how will I manage this situation? And then you can answer that, can't you? Yeah, I think a lot of the time is, I don't know what to do. And I think quite often the default can be, I don't know what to do, so I'll just not do anything. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's it's not even intended no. to offend or no. upset. It, it, I don't think any of that comes into it. No. It's just that, oh my goodness, that child's different. Um, you know, a lot of people think if you've got diabetes, you shouldn't have cake and sweets. And so they they might be thinking, oh, we could come to the party. They can't have those things. That might be more upsetting if they come than if they don't. It is. It's just have that conversation. Mm. I think one of the things that we can be afraid of is asking the wrong question. Have you felt that people have asked stupid questions or the things that you've been offended by? What's your perspective on that? If people ask me questions and it shows that they don't understand the condition, then that to me is completely okay. I wouldn't expect them to understand our condition. They're not living with it. I, In the same way, I wouldn't understand the ins and outs of other conditions like epilepsy or 
different sorts of cancer. What I would hope is that you know, if people are asking me questions, then I, I interpret that as people are showing an interest and, and they care and they want to know more. And so I'm happy to explain more. I would much rather people ask the questions and not worry that they're silly, because to me there isn't a silly question. Nobody asks a question that they know the answer to. They're asking a question and they're going to find out more about the condition, which is always only going to be helpful to us as a family. But I do know that some families can get really, really upset when people assume that their children can't have sugar or they can't go on a play day or they can't play football or something like that. And I, and I think it's, it's sort of being able to step back and say, actually, this is, you know, type one is part of our everyday lives, but it's not part of theirs and, and they don't understand. And, and presumably they're trying to, if they're asking questions. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think we can want people to understand our situation, but actually, you know, there's so many others we don't understand because we're not living with them all day, every day. Um, and I'm quite pleased for them that they don't have to understand all the ins and outs of it. And of course, Molly is celiac, isn't she? Yeah. So you've really, <laughs> your meal table <laughs> is challenged. <laughs> well, Molly was diagnosed in um, in the summer. And what celiac means is you can't, have gluten in your diet it's it's celiac disease is a another autoimmune disease like type 1 and actually the two can quite often go hand in hand so what that means is that anything with gluten in it will actually trigger molly's autoimmune system and it, it won't just make her feel ill it will actually start to damage her body so we've got cross-contamination issues we've got all of that but i have made a really conscious decision that i am not going to let these things affect our meals our family time around the table and also molly is also vegan so we have <laughs> vegan we have celiac so that's no gluten we have type one which means we have to work out the carbs you can see things as a just a challenge that is just too big or you can just take it one step at a time and go right well this is quite big and i'm not gonna sort all of it out overnight and you know it's not it's far from perfect in our house don't make a big deal of things you know if, if molly needs to have something different for a meal that's okay she has something different it's it's not a big deal and um and i'm really pleased that we've been able to work that through and that's helped that molly has actually really wanted to make it work too well the wind picked up at this point and hijacked my question which was did she return to that facebook group that had seemed too overwhelming to join at the beginning and the answer is that she did, and in fact was then able to support other families as they came on board. She mentioned what an incredible sight it was, and through their sleepless nights and many questions, there would always be someone awake, 24-7, 365, able to support her and relate to her experiences without the need for context, because they'd been there too. Emma's gone on to support others who've had a diabetic diagnosis in their family and is a rep for the local hospital paediatric team, feeding ideas in and responding to their ideas. They're a proactive group at the hospital and they hold fundraising events and she supports them too and has spoken at their annual parents' evening. 
Her son James is a keen filmmaker and he's made a film about different situations that come up for a person with diabetes and that's been shared at the local hospital and the team sometimes ask if they can also share it with new families who are struggling with the adjustment of a diagnosis. And she's often put in touch with these new families who just need to talk and talk when it all feels so new and all-consuming. And she remembers well her need to talk so much in those early days. I know the way I processed things in the early days was I just needed to talk. I just needed to talk about mm, it. And I'd be like that. And what you realise is that people get it for the first couple of weeks and then it's kind of this is old now we don't really want to hear about it anymore and so you're still very much in a very new place with a very new thing that's consuming you and they they don't want to hear it anymore they kind of just can we just go back to our old conversations and it's not it's not intentional and it's not but um so just uh for people to know they can talk to another parent who gets it and understands it's not going away and that there's going to be more and more questions probably yeah. uh, as you move on in those early weeks and months rather than less you know so yeah. so it's been nice to do that I think those things relate across all the different challenges you know even if you lose somebody you find after a couple of weeks nobody's asking you know yeah. can we go back to the way we were and as you say nobody means anything by it but it's it's good to remember that actually it's important to incorporate that in your friendship isn't it rather than to say right that was a little season because it isn't for you Mm-mm. so now I'm going to ask you the all-important question what's a courageous thing you've done in your life although you have just given me sort of 40 minutes of courage but <laughs> I think for me it's it's recognizing when things haven't been right and looking at rather than ignoring them just really going actually this isn't right this I'm not comfortable with this it doesn't fit with the person I am and just exploring it and finding that answer so um, an example would be when my children were at school age when my daughter was three I just could I just felt system couldn't see how she would ever be ready for school she was a summer born and the classic response is oh she'll be fine she'll be fine and I just knew that wasn't the the approach I wanted to take and so I researched I just looked into all the different options there were and I discovered flexi schooling and I discovered that there was um, delayed entry although I um, it didn't look like it was an option for us so I, I looked at my different options and I followed what I felt was right for us and that is something that I've done with my son as well so my daughter went to school part-time till she was eight she flexi schooled and with my son we got to the point where he was six and I just knew school wasn't right and he did actually go in late and he did flexi school and then we took him out and I think they're probably some of the most courageous things we've done because it wasn't the easy option and it took some really hard conversations and a lot of thinking and they were some of the biggest decisions we've made but they were the right decisions and I think you know I'm so thankful that's the approach we've taken. A common definition of courage which is one that I subscribe to is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. 
So I love all the different answers that people give to that question. And I also know what an enormous leap it felt for me to move a child from school to home education almost 20 years ago. Definitely a courageous leap. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Emma and that it's given you a little encouragement if you have a friend or relative who's dealing with a diagnosis in their family. And if it's in your family, I'm sure you'll have felt a little solidarity there and will have related, at least in part, to Emma's experience. Do pop along to thecourageousmama.com to pick up your copy of Parenting for Life at the listener's discounted price. It's full of great tools for parenting that are easy to access and put into practice. I know that one reader said if she only ever bought one book on parenting, this would be it. It makes a beautiful gift for a friend because it's a hardback coffee table style book full of beautiful photography. It's never too late or too early to look at ways to iron out those clash points in family life and to build connection now and for those years ahead. One of the things I've learned about podcasting is that the more reviews there are, the easier it is for people to find us. And I know that I would love this to be shared with many people because so many of you have told me how valuable it feels to you. So if you've got a moment, do you mind popping down and just putting a note in the review section? And if you want to connect with me, I'm easy to find. I'm the Courageous Mama everywhere at gmail.com, on Instagram and on my webpage. page.